the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. If you approach God in terms of your performance, thinking that if I perform well for Him, then God will be up in heaven clapping for me, and then He'll be pleased with me, that is just an exercise in futility. So we're going to have to try to get our Western mindset about rewards for performance out of our head in regards to our relationship with God, because it does not work that way. You and I cannot perform our way into the heart of God. We were already there so much so that he gave his son to die for us. Your culture's views make a difference in how you look at the world. Today, Pastor Gary shares that our culture makes it harder to relate to God based on his grace. Western culture is saturated with the mindset that you have to earn the good things that you get. And if you work hard, people will be pleased with you. Then you carry this belief over to your walk with God. But the Bible teaches something different. What you do doesn't make God love you more or less. You don't earn His grace. He gives it freely. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He came before the law. Because he was about 430 years before God gave the law, the commandments through Moses. So now wait, if Abraham was justified because his faith was credited to him as righteousness, and he precedes the law, then how can you say that the law is the basis for our righteousness? How does a person become right with God? Faith. And He exercised faith. He wasn't obedient to the law because the law had never even been given for 430 more years. So this is a brilliant argument he uses. Keep reading verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Why is it that someone is under a curse? For observing the law, that that sounds like a good thing to do, doesn't it? Here's the reason. You know that old expression, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword? Same goes with the law. If you live by the law, you're going to die by the law. So unless you can keep everything written in the law, and then you'd be pretty righteous, it's going to condemn you. So you're cursed. Because if you go around saying, yeah, the law, doing good works, that's what justifies me with God, and then you don't obey all those laws... You're in deep trouble because how are you going to be righteous then before God? So don't go touting the law. Don't go saying all the commandments. If I just keep all the commandments, then I'll be right with God because we can't keep all the commandments. Have you ever noticed? It's easy to break the commandments, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. 
So he says, don't go around using that argument. Verse 11, clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Now, he is quoting there from Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He's quoting the Old Testament, which simply said through the prophet Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. That verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. And it is interesting that each of the times, each of the three times that Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted in the New Testament, it addresses a different angle about that verse based on the words. So, for example, Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous or the just will live by faith. So Paul quotes it in Romans 1.17, but he focuses on the word righteous or just. And he answers in the book of Romans, well then just exactly who are the just, so that we can know that the just will live by faith. Who are the just? Then that verse is quoted in Hebrews 10.38, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by faith, and the writer of Hebrews emphasizes faith. Well, then what is faith? So we can understand this verse, and that's the angle the writer of Hebrews takes. But here in Galatians, when Paul quotes it here, the just shall live by faith, he doesn't really talk about the just, he doesn't really talk about faith, he talks about living The just or the righteous shall live by faith. And the whole emphasis on the book of Galatians is then, how is it that we are to live? And Paul says, not under the bondage of the law, that's for sure. Not trying to be such a good person that you're killing yourself trying to please God. That isn't going to work. So this is that verse again, verse 11, that Luther took hold of and it was liberating to him. And I hope it is as liberating to us. Not that we can then indulge the sinful nature because we're free in Christ. Not free to do whatever we jolly well want, but free to live without the burden of trying to please Him. That's exhausting. Trying to do enough good things that you hope God is happy with you. That is exhausting. But how freeing it is to know that God already loved me before I did anything. And loved me so much that he gave his son Jesus dying on a cross. If I put my faith and trust in him, my sins are forgiven. I'm in right standing with God. How does a person get right with God? Through faith in Christ. How liberating that is. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to try to perform. For, do you know how many people are wired because they're wired for performance? That's the way our culture is too, by the way. It's perform and then you'll be liked. Perform and then you'll be rewarded. Okay, that's how our culture is. You perform well on the job, you'll get a good salary, you'll get a promotion, you'll get a bonus. We're wired that way. I'm not saying in the right place, in the right context, that's wrong, but in terms of faith, it is. Okay, because if you approach God in terms of your performance, thinking that if I perform well for him, then God will be up in heaven clapping for me, and then he'll be pleased with me, that is just an exercise in futility. So we're going to have to try to get our Western mindset about rewards for performance out of our head in regards to our relationship with God, because it does not work that way. You and I cannot perform our way into the heart of God. We were already there, so much so that he gave his son to die for us. And then when we accept what Christ has done by faith, how freeing that is. No more performance. Now, I I want to do what is right to please God, but I do that now in response to what God has done for me. In response, God is the initiator. We are the responder. 
God is the one who pursued us. God is the one who went after us. You know, in, in the end of Psalm 23, we talked about this a few months ago in Psalm 23, where the end of the Psalm says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But that term, surely goodness and mercy of the Lord shall follow me all the days of my life, is actually a military term that means to pursue me. God is going to pursue you with his goodness and his mercy. He pursues us. Because of his love for us, because he's so merciful and he's so good that he went after us and he sought us. You know how the hymn goes? He sought us and he bought us with his redeeming blood. And that is the price that he paid for us so that we could have relationship with him and rest in that relationship. Oh, I pray that you know him that way, that you can just rest in him. No more striving. No more trying to perform. He says in verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, not the law. That's not based on faith. He says, on the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung in a tree and thus the cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By the way, you can circle the word faith there in the margin of your Bible. The word faith, believe, or some form of the word believe, like believing or believed 17 times just in chapter 3. Faith or believe 17 times just in chapter 3. Do you suppose he's trying to emphasize something? In verse 15, he says, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Jesus talked about not, well, the old English is not a jot or a tittle, not, in other words, not the least, not the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is yod, not an iota, it's the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. No stroke of a pen shall in the least manner pass away before all the law is fulfilled, Jesus said. And he put great emphasis on the minutest detail of Scripture, Every little mark in the Hebrew language will be intact to preserve specific meaning. Now, why do I mention that? Because here Paul is saying even the plural or singularity of a word changes complete meaning. So he says, pay attention. He says, God's promise to Abraham, and God did make this promise. God made it all throughout the book of Genesis. Several times he talked about the promise to Abraham's seed, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 24, but it is singular. And Paul points that out. He says it wasn't plural. If, it, if he had said, and to your seeds, plural, he would have meant a people group. But he, says he didn't mean many people there. That's what Paul clarifies. He says the scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, meaning whom? Specifically, not the Jews. That's what he's saying. He's saying here that salvation is not because of the law, And yet you have to become a Jew in order to experience salvation by keeping the law. 
He says it's not about the law and it's not about being Jewish. He says it's about Christ because salvation didn't come through a people, although to take nothing away from the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. God birthed a redemptive plan through a specific race of people. Some theologians believe that the church has replaced Israel in terms of the promises of God. That is not true. God is not done with Israel and still loves the Jewish people. The church has not replaced Israel. Okay, But salvation is not gained by becoming a race of people. Salvation is gained from the top down, not the bottom up. From the cross, now available to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And so Paul is making this distinction here. It says, this is a promise that was made to Abraham regarding his seed singular because Christ would eventually descend, humanly speaking, from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The seed of Abraham, singular, that he's referring to when God made the promise was the promise of Christ for the redemption of the whole world. It wasn't that redemption would come because you become Jewish and that's how you get saved. It's that redemption comes because the seed of Abraham is Christ, the promised Messiah, through whom we can all receive him to be saved. In verse 17, he goes on, he says, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, Abraham to Moses, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. And by the way, this one of the specific covenant promises God made with Abraham was the right of circumcision. But what's interesting is that it tells us in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And 40 years later in Genesis 17 is where God then talks to him about circumcision. So Paul makes all this argument to say this in a nutshell. You don't have to become Jewish to get saved. You don't have to be circumcised because Abraham was already righteous before circumcision was given. Abraham was already righteous before the law was given. Why? Because he approached God by faith. He believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Look, friends, I know this might be a new concept to some of you. But whether you're talking Old Testament or New Testament, it has always been faith. It has always been faith. You say, wait a minute, I thought the Old Testament was about works and the sacrificial system. Yeah, 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 but... but What was the sacrificial system implemented for? It was the shedding of blood of an innocent animal to point towards the ultimate sacrifice of the innocent Savior. So everybody in the Old Testament who practiced sacrificing animals was looking forward to the Messiah by faith. All of us look backwards to the cross by faith. But you're exercising faith from whichever direction you come. The cross stands in the middle. If, if you lived on earth before the cross, you were sacrificing a blood animal looking forward to the revelation of Messiah, believing by faith that the Messiah would be the sacrifice for your sins. You were going through that routine as a demonstration of exercising faith looking forward, but it is looking backwards, remembering the cross, still believing in the same Savior who died for your sins. We just come at it from two different directions. Those in the Old Testament looking forward, those of us now looking backwards to the cross. But all of it is still an exercise of faith. It's not the law. It's not becoming Jewish. It's not doing all these different things to try to get God to be happy with you. It is by faith. Well then, 
In the closing few verses of this chapter, Paul anticipates a question. If it's all this faith stuff, then what's the purpose of the law at all? So look at the next thing that he says there as a question in verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? All right, now keep your place there because I first want to take you through this before we even answer that question. He's going to answer it for us. There are three divisions of the Old Testament law. This is important to understand because a lot of times people will ask me, what is the purpose of the law and can I eat shrimp today and pork and all that other good stuff that in the, in the law was forbidden to eat? Is it okay for us to do these? And how come, you know, originally it seems like man was vegetarian. Is it okay to even have a hamburger now at all? So three divisions to the Old Testament law. This is important to understand. Here are the divisions. The moral, ceremonial, and dietary aspects of the law. If you read your Old Testament laws, all your Old Testament laws will fall into one of these three categories. It's either a moral law, it is a ceremonial law, or it is a dietary law. Now, ceremonial being feasts and festivals and certain practices that were specified in the Old Testament. Then there was the dietary aspect. Certain foods are not kosher, no pork, Certain, certain seafoods, you know, crab, lobster, and shrimp. Nada. Okay? Aren't you happy for grace? Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Now, here's the important thing to know. All this still, is all this still intact? Well, no, actually. The last two, the ceremonial and dietary aspects of the law are no longer binding. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. Colossians 2, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, dietary, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, ceremonial. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul says that the ceremonial and dietary aspects of the law were put in place to lead us to Christ, to show us aspects of holiness and cleansing and aspects of right living, okay? But all of that was, again, to point you to the ultimate need for cleansing of the heart and purification of the mind and the soul. But these were all external things to help the worshiper learn. What does God want of me? He wants me to be clean. He wants me to write. Okay, well, the ultimate cleansing came through Christ because it's not a matter of what goes in you, okay? Now, this is what Jesus said in Mark 7. You'll like this. This is, this is liberating. I'm telling you what, Mark 7, 18 to 23, this is what Jesus said. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? He's talking about certain foods. Nothing can make a man unclean from the outside that goes in. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. Okay? So he says, what you eat doesn't corrupt the heart because it just goes in your stomach through your bowels, and out it goes. And in fact, Mark, in parenthesis, adds right after Jesus says that, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And then Jesus goes on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean, for from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jesus just makes a short list. He says, all of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So in other words, Jesus says, it's not the stuff you put in you. It's, it's, I'll tell you what makes a man unclean, he says, or a woman. It's, a, it's what comes out of the heart. That really shows the uncleanness of the heart. Now we got a heart problem. 
we got heartburn now. But, but Jesus said, as far as the dietary aspect, eat up, friends. And some of you who are like serious nutritionists, and we respect you. <laughs> You'll help us to live longer, just not as happy. Do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, there are some reasons why maybe you shouldn't eat some of the, you know, the bottom eaters is what they say along the bottom of the ocean. So like, like shrimp and crab and lobster, you're probably better if you don't, as far as health goes, there's probably certain foods if you avoid that you might live longer. Okay. So you may want a self-imposed restriction on certain foods if you want. Okay. But my motto is I'm going to go to heaven. Might as well go sooner than later. And, um, (laughs) But there's liberty in this. Now, but that said, listen, friends, here's the important thing. The moral code of the law is still intact. Okay, this part has never been done away with. The moral code. All the fancy little celebrations and feasts and festivals, people can practice those if they want to do those things to help them remember and to, you know, pay honor, okay, as far as religious traditions go. Dietary aspects may be a self-imposed restriction for health reasons, okay, But those things, as far as making you right with God, no longer count. The moral code, however, yes. It's not not like, you know, the Ten Commandments were thrown out with the ceremonial and dietary aspect of the law, and so it's okay if you want to, you know, commit adultery, and it's okay if you want to go out and murder. No. No, no, because the moral code is still intact, all right? But Paul's going to answer this. Let's just see here the rest of this passage. He says, then what was the purpose of the law? He says, it was added because of transgressions until the seed, capital S, that's about Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. That's a difficult verse, by the way, put into effect through angels. But God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. This is a very important verse. Underline this. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So again, for you note takers, there are three purposes of the Old Testament law, and he basically says these three, but if not here, through the sum total of his epistles, Paul says basically this, to explain what sin is, that's one reason, why do we still have the Old Testament? To explain what sin is. Paul would write in Romans 7, I didn't even know what coveting was until I read in the commandments, you should not covet. So I didn't even know. Until I understood, oh, this is God's standard. I shouldn't, I shouldn't envy what other people have. Also, to expose sin in us, how do you know what is right or wrong in your life except that the Bible specifies some moral standards? And then to express our need for a Savior. Now, here's the important thing that Paul's emphasizing here. He says, when, when you look at the law and you see all the commands of God and everything I'm supposed to do to try to get right with Him, and then I realize I fall so short, why do I need a Savior? The law was put into effect to lead us to Christ. Now, that's an old Greek word there, the supervision of the law. It's an old Greek word meaning the pedagogue. The pedagogue was like a male nanny who was hired in a Greek home or a Roman home 
to take a child to school, but the pedagogue was not the teacher. It was only someone who led the child to school. The law was not something that will actually save you. The law is intended to be like a pedagogue to lead you to where you really need to be, which is with a savior. Thanks for tuning in today for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We pray today's teaching has blessed you and challenged you to draw closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to learn from God's Word together. And we hope you'll tune in again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new life General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.